This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategies editor Amber Ainsley Pritchard. And you may have guessed it, her Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello there, and welcome to Friends in Benefits. Today, I am here with Megan O'Shaughnessy, who is head of Consumer Award at BT and a member of the Reward 300. This is the first podcast we've recorded at Reward Strategy, and hopefully there'll be more to come, but we'll see how this goes first. Megan and I are going to chat about her career, topics on trend, and whatever else we fancy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. No problem. You're welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And how are things at BT? Busy. Very busy at the moment. We're coming into quite a busy compensation review type period, which I'm sure lots of people are. And it's there's a lot of moving parts. So the business is changing as well as the BAU stuff going on, which is quite hard to manage sometimes. So I feel like it's just a state of mind now that people just say, how are you? Busy. Yep. It's like a badge of honour. Um, <laughs> but we are truly mm-hmm. quite busy at the moment. Well, at least it's an honest answer. Everyone's just yeah. like, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. So we met about a year ago and you were working at Charlotte Tilbury then, just about to make the move to BT. Mm-hmm. So how have things been since then, the change from startup to such a big organisation? Interesting to say the least. I think there's, there's a, for me, the reason for moving was to get more PLC experience and to kind of open up to a slightly more diverse workforce and, and a diverse way of how a business makes money. And to be honest, we were talking about this at work today and you know, it's not that clear how BT make money because there's so many revenue streams that it's quite difficult to pinpoint exactly where it is that most of that comes from. So where I've gone from quite a simple model at Charlotte Tilbury Mm. to quite a a more complex model at BT, it was more about becoming more commercially minded, which I hadn't had to really do that much in, in my career. So that's been quite a shift. I think that's been the most momentous shift for me, because previously it, there was a lot of partnering in Charlotte Tilbury and there is a lot of that still at BT. So that's just been an evolving piece. Whereas the commercial kind of where we spend our money in terms of reward spend has to be aligned to where, you know, the margins of growth are going to come from and, and what's going to profit us in the future. So if we're just investing in certain areas as a blanket, that's not really going to work because the, the business is so big and it's not we're in a period of change so the whole market is in a period of change the business is trying to move from what was typically known as a telecommunications organization to a technology business and with that comes peaks and troughs and we need to be very careful with where we spend so to to get that commercial sort of eyesight on everything is is key so that's been the biggest change I think other than the the obvious change, which is selling mobile phones and broadband to <laughs> selling makeup. makeup. Yeah. <laughs> a little less glamorous, maybe? Slightly. Um, I work for the consumer division. So actually there's, you know, within that you've got BT Sport, you've got E, uh, which is the retail arm, as well as the, the more office type roles. And they are actually quite, quite glamorous places to work at times. You know, there's, there's plenty of, you know, celebrities and stuff like that running around if, mm. if that's what interests you. But also there's, there's quite a big heritage piece at BT. So what you probably lack in a, a smaller org that's really exciting every day, really fast paced, is this kind of knowledge that what BT do is is quite momentous to the country running. So you know, 90% of TV, the TV that you watch comes, bounces out of BT Tower. Like That's incredible. And if that went down, like you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even want mm-hmm. to think about it. So it kind of switches from being for me being proud to work for one organization is 
for Charlotte Tilbury was about the kind of journey and the architecture of my role and how the business grew. Whereas at BT, it's more about kind of nodding to the past and being kind of in awe of what mm. the business is and has become because it's changed a lot over the last year, actually. And it's great to have that experience of working with such different companies because mm. I know you quite like working in the retail sector mm. as it is. What about that? Do you love? I think the pace and I think it's the realness of it. So you've got, I think because, you know, most people will have had a retail type job as a, you know, as a student or something like that. And I think when you see it from that perspective and then you move into a more managerial side of things, it's for me, there, there was a real level of understanding of what it's like to work in retail. And I just find it exciting. I find products, brands exciting. I've always liked to, you know, I've always been quite proud of where I've worked. I've never been afraid to talk about where I work. And it's quite a nice feeling for people to go, oh, that must be fun. That must be a nice place to work. Mm-hmm. And I think retail does that. And it's going through so much change and quite a sticky period, really, if you think about the high street and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But having said that, I think there will always be a need for for those sorts of businesses, whether it's in more omni-channel or something like that. So I think there's still a lot to be excited about. Yeah, and I think reward as a whole is a very exciting job role. Every time I interview Mm. people or speak to people, I always get quite jealous. I think I'd love to put together a reward strategy, Yeah, like no matter what sector, but then again, retail would be great. And also quite challenging, I think, because when I think about retail, the workforce is so diverse. Like you've got so many different demographics to sort of meet their requirements I mean how do you find that trying to serve like millennials older generations you know different you know people who are really into tech they may want different benefits to those more traditional it's difficult I think my experience has been not to prescribe and not to to think you know um I've always said that because you know particularly at Charlotte Tilbury but equally at BT you know you look across the the brand of BT and you will have people that have been working there for 40 years 50 years and then on the flip side of that, we've got people in our EE stores that have been there for two months that are students. So it really is quite a broad spectrum. So it's almost like it's more diverse than working in retail because you've got the whole, you know, we've got a whole broadcasting kind of agency, if you like, in BT Sport. So the thing I think that is difficult to strike is to, you can't try and get something that fits for everyone. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to please absolutely everyone in the business, but you have to give, I think the thing is to educate and to give people the education around what is on offer. Mm-hmm. Because if you just throw everything at them, and BT is, is sometimes a bit guilty of this because the the range of reward and benefits is vast. And sometimes we are offering so much that it overwhelms people. But we're doing that so that we service every kind of employee. Mm. Whereas actually, you know, there are there are really underutilized benefits and and things that really just don't make sense anymore whether you're and that doesn't really matter whether you're old or young or you know experienced or non-experienced some things have just had their day so I think you need to it's not just about asking people but understand what works in in life kind of thing so I always think if you think as a consumer my my who I service are our employees but I look at them as if they are consumers and you have to kind of in order to keep up you kind of have to preempt what they're going to need um be like you know apple tell us what we need and then within a few months we've all got you know airpods because we can possibly have headphones with wires anymore that kind of thing like preempting what mm. you think people are gonna are gonna want based on what's going on yeah. in the world i think is is more the way to go rather than being like oh you work in retail so you're gonna want this whereas mm. you work in an office so you're gonna want this the lines are now quite blurred yeah i think that's right with an employer they are becoming more of a friend in some cases when you look at the well-being element but also 
it's like anyone now when you you know getting a product or something in the customer service you want instant responses and things like that that's sort of translating now into the workplace and yeah. from employers on the reward side yeah exactly and like even I don't I can't remember where I was saying it the other day that we um I had a delivery at home and the idea of not being given a text that morning to say your item will be here between this time and this time I I that's just commonplace now. The, <laughs> yeah. the idea of having to wait in all day just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's another example of how we kind of want everything very, very precise. Mm-hmm. And speaking about serving your employees, I know you recently wrote an article in our magazine about sort of employees serving the brand or the organization in a way about using reward as a lever for brand ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think the premise behind it was that in order to to get people talking as if they're really, it's it's about having that pride in where you work, and if anything, that kind of translates because your biggest your biggest lever for for anything really is is word of mouth, and if that is bad, it's really hard to come back and and get that credibility back. So we. Well, at Charlotte Tilbury, it's, it works slightly differently at BT, but there is a change of foot. At Charlotte Tilbury, we we had a tangible product, and I think that's what I wrote about in the in the article was around, you know, we gave people our products so that they could use them, but then become advocates and, you know, talk about them. And that's quite easy when you work in a retailer or a brand that has a tangible product, but we can't really just give everyone, well, we can at BT give everyone broadband, mm. but it's not as... Yeah, it's not as sexy as giving yeah. someone a lipstick or a you know a great magic cream that's worth seventy quid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that magic cream is great. I have it. I mean, it's good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so great. Good. Miss my discount. <laughs> but yeah, the the premise around advocacy isn't shouldn't be just based on what you can give your employees for free. It's that kind of all in it together. So it's it's not just. I think I said the I referenced the three S's. So like why they stay and why they strive it's all about kind of what how you pull them in and that will be your word of mouth but then you can pull someone in and give them loads of free stuff but if they don't really invest and they're not massively engaged with what your purpose is as an individual employer or stay that was the last one stay yeah that's why they stay um well it comes on to that so like if they're not invested they're not going to stay they're not going to they're not going to want to do any more than you know why should they do more for you than they would do for anyone else Mm -hmm. and that's I think honesty will get that out of employees because, you know, we were very upfront at Charlotte Tilbury and said, you know, in interviews, and I did it, I said, you know, this isn't a place to come and work if you literally just want to do a nine to five and go home and not have to think about it. This is a a role that will, in one hand, take a lot in terms of your time and your mind space, but in return, the reward will be great. You can, you know, double up on bonus, you can you know, you can move up quite quickly because it's a very small org, it's very flat. So that's kind of, but then when you flip that on its side and you look at BT, we have huge amounts of human capital and sometimes in the market, not the best reputation for customer service and things like that, that bleeds into an organization. And it's it's how you, you flip that. If you are in that position, you can't give massive bonuses. Mm. It's how you flip that to get people to think, do you know what, actually, yeah, we haven't done that great at that. Like, and we, we're going to be honest and say it, but this is what we're going to do to change things. And I think that's where we are at BT at the moment. CT was very easy to kind of, we were always growing, always getting better, had a great reputation. But, you know, with that comes, with that comes a kind of responsibility to maintain it. And that's really difficult because some people would come there and work for us and you know they'd get all the rewards that we had built 
and you know all of the free stuff but actually because they didn't they weren't the right person in terms of work ethic it didn't work and actually they viewed the business as a oh my god it's so cutthroat it's so harsh it's you know they want unrealistic you know they've got unrealistic goals unrealistic expectations whereas I walked out and said god that made me hugely resilient so I think you, you, that's what we kind of address within the onboarding process. Mm-hmm. Look, we're going to be really upfront and frank about coming to work here. But in return, if you do, if you are our kind of person, you will get the opportunity to get involved in things that you never would have before at your level or, you know, you'll get the move, the movement, the fluidity. BT, we're kind of we're on a journey there. And <laughs> it's, as I said, there's a lot of legacy mm-hmm. stuff there. But, you know, there's there is roots in which the, the good thing about BT is that you can most people that I work with you know they'll sit there and say I've worked here for 35 years and that's great Mm -hmm. you know I've always been quite open about long service and saying that I'm a bit on the fence with it because I think it's great but I don't think you need to be rewarded necessarily for it Mm. in terms of cash because I think that you get paid to be at your desk so you know your bonus and things like that should reward you for the effort in which you put in mm-hmm. you know give them a token gift that's all very nice yeah. but maybe maybe an extra holiday that mm-hmm. kind of thing but has someone been effective for every single day for 35 years more so than the new joiner that's been there for one year i don't know yeah, that's a was, very good point to make yeah. actually uh, the recognition but then you need to value and weigh up really what have they done what have they done for the company yeah. which i guess is hard at such a big organization yeah. like bt but yeah, and I think there's this inherent, it's almost like the veins that run through it that, you know, you get a clock, like if you've been there for like 20, people have got them on their desk, like they're hugely proud of them. Oh. And it's great. But with that, the, the the thing that really struck me when I got there was people said, I've done 12 jobs since I've been at BT and I've worked in OpenReach, I've worked in Enterprise, mm. I've worked, and I'm like, that's a great story. They haven't just sat there in one role. Not that that would mm-hmm. be wrong if that's what they wanted, but, you know, the opportunity to move around a, a really diverse organisation is there. And that's probably what pulled me there, actually, was the you can start in consumer, but I may end up in global mm. or, you know, whatever. I think that's what a lot of people coming into the workplace want these days as yeah. well. Um, I've actually just been getting an article ready for the next magazine. Uh, by Rosemary Lemon, who's mm. group head of reward at Hayes. Mm-hmm. And she's been speaking to um, her son, who is a millennial, and some of his friends. Um, because now the millennial generation is all in the workforce mm-hmm. now, or well, they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and she spoke to them about now they've been in the workplace now for a year or two, like what do they want? And no one wants to stay somewhere, like a career for life. Like you say, there's yeah. people who've worked at BT for 35 years. They want a portfolio career. They want to move around. But they will stay in a company for a little bit longer than the two years they may want to if they've got the opportunity to work in different departments and that Yeah, it's that. It's really important, isn't it? Because I think the reason why I think the perception of moving around is that the more you move around, the more money you can potentially make. Mm. That doesn't necessarily, it's not the case. If you have the opportunities in front of you, why would you upheave yourself if you could have different roles and feel like new jobs but working for one employer? Yeah, it's like a no-brainer, exactly. but it's making that really, really clear to individuals, and 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 then living it, and and not just putting it on a piece of paper. Um, BT are very good at that, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know as many organisations that do that. I think one I had spoken to was uh, Mars Corporation, and they've done that for a long time. Okay. But I don't know as many companies that have been doing it for such a long time. But yeah, no BT. I think because they've. The portfolio is so big 
actually it's in their interest mm-hmm. to and to they've push got the ability it. to yeah. do it as well yeah what would you say when you're working have been some of the best benefits or part of a reward strategy that you've been offered i i must say i think bt is quite a compelling offer it depends what stage of your life you're at you know i really valued when i worked for charlotte tilbury the all of the you know the glamour that came with it mm-hmm. so you know you'd get not just discounts at charlotte tilbury in a very healthy discount but you'd also get discounts with some of the companies that we were friends with so mm. to speak and they'd be around christmas time where you'd get huge discounts on really quite lovely designer boutiques mm. and things like that you get invited to sample sales that kind of stuff really interests it still does interest me but i think when i got to bt i started to take stock and think you know there's a plethora of things here that are on offer um and it's not necessarily whether it's valuable to me but it's if i was anyone and I came in and looked at this, I think there's something for everyone. You know, the things like your, your traditional private medical insurance, that's quite sniffed at now. It's like, oh, okay, mm. we have to pay tax on it. Okay, well, when you're ill, come back to me and, and talk yeah. to me about how valuable it is because I think until you need it, it's like anything. Until you need it, you don't value it. But once you've used it, you're like, wow, imagine I didn't have that. You know, imagine I didn't have an employer that cared about me to... Mm-hmm to ensure that I had a, a great experience, that kind of end-to-end care. And I think particularly, you know, if you look at things like the the critical illness in this day and age where property prices and mm-hmm. things like that, the, the the pressure on particularly millennials to, you know, even get on the ladder. And once they're on that ladder, if they want to have this kind of transient work life where they kind of dip in and out of different roles, the opportunity to have critical illness cover if they were to get sick I think it's just because people don't understand the value of some kind of, it, it depends what stage of your life that you're at, you know, the kind of the stuff that's more, you know, easily accessible, the giving away an extra day on your birthday, that makes a big difference to, you know, like we've just done it in retail, it makes mm. a really big difference to those guys, they feel like it's something that they can really get excited about. Yeah. But then, you know, if, if we were to, at Charlotte Tilbury, we introduced a medical benefit for retail and a life assurance benefit for retail and actually you know people are like this is unheard of you don't get life mm. assurance at a retail level you know this is something that we can use to help with a mortgage application it's it's getting people to understand the value of things and, and rather than just going here's the whole host mm. um you that pick. education and communication piece again yeah i think like on-site gyms and i must admit i worked at a company called pentland and they had an on-site gym, which was fa- like phenomenal, with a brilliant gym team, and we had our own swimming pool. Mm, that nice. was pretty. That was pretty nice. Yeah. Wow, that does sound good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the only downside was you had to walk through the gym to get to the pool, and there weren't really changing areas at oh. the pool, so you were kind of towed walking through the gym yeah. in front Little of your colleagues. Walk. I don't know if you want to go swimming in front of your colleagues, and you had to wear a swim cap too. So oh, the pool, the pool was incredibly clean. Wow, um, but it wasn't wasn't my most attractive moment (laughs) no one's attractive moment is in a swimming cap i don't think no um so i wanted to speak about something else which we covered Mm. in the latest edition of reward strategy and that is about the taboo that is the menopause although we're trying to break the taboo so Mm -hmm. i shouldn't call it a taboo but yeah women over the age of 50 are the fastest growing proportion of the workforce but many of these experiencing the menopause you know, they're taking time off work, they're not telling their manager why, because they feel uncomfortable, and it even drives some of them to leave the workplace altogether. And now that workplaces are so open, you know, your employer's more like a friend, we have mental health first aiders, mm-hmm. like, we're trying to be super open. But 
there's you know menopause people aren't talking about it there's hardly any companies doing anything about it more and more are now but I mean why do you think this is what is BT doing maybe around this we've actually addressed it so there is actually a a policy in in kind of you know it's not there is some guidance around specifically the menopause but actually it's more of a to be inclusive, it could be any kind of life change is what is what we refer mm-hmm. to things as. And, you know, I think the taboo is there because it's it's human nature to sometimes not want to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. You know, even as a kid at school, you know, if you start your period, it's not something that you want to tell your yeah. teacher about. I remember being seeing friends be very like weirded out by everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing, really. Yeah. It's 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 just it's not the done thing. Um, and I think actually. The minute you start talking about things like that, people either go one way or the other. They're mm. like, oh, what a relief. I can, I feel like I can now talk yeah. about it. Or they'll still be that, oh, well, this is yeah. not for me and yeah. it's making me uncomfortable. And it's okay for mm. people to feel uncomfortable about talking about things. Some people aren't as open yeah. as others. I think the key thing from an employer perspective is to to ensure that people feel, you know, that they can if they want mm-hmm. to. They yeah. don't need to. Um, and, you know, they don't need to come to you and give to you, you know, the the chapter and verse of what's going on in their life. But if they feel like they want to give context mm. to give to give you more kind yeah. of reassurance of what's going on, then then I think that's okay. I think there's there's something to be said for a kind of understanding between mm. managers and, and yeah, direct reports. I think reports. it is that open environment. Although some people may not want to talk about it or get weirded out, like the period thing. I find myself at some point last year like being like I was still in school, like hiding my tampon under my mm. sleeve to go to the toilet. Yeah, and I was before. like... I thought, why am I doing this? You know, there's yeah. no need. So now I just, I leave it on my desk just to remind me I need to go. I had a boss <laughs> last year who, who I had only been at BT not mm. that long. And she texted me from the loo. <laughs> I'm not going to say her name, um, but she wouldn't mind me mentioning this. No. And she said, text me from the loo saying, had a bit of an incident. I'm going to need to go home. Can you bring my laptop and my handbag to the loo? And I'll tell you when you get here. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. Yeah, sure. No problem. And I, I was slightly worried, a bit concerned. Mm. And then she explained that she had just had a bit of an accident and that literally she was just like, oh, just unexpected period. You know, it mm. is what it is. And she said, I'm going to have to go home though, because, you know, I can't be walking around the office. But that was just a real, it was a moment when actually mm. we became a lot closer just in that yeah. second. And, it, and it, you know, it's stupid because it's happens to every woman. Yeah, it's I mean, not, you can't help it. Yes, like You know, and, but I think that sometimes in, in, organization some people are very uh, cautious because they don't want to say the wrong thing mm. they don't want to assume things and also i think particularly for the the menopause and most people's parents wouldn't have their mothers if especially for you know i don't want to be generalistic here mm. but for men their mothers will not have had the conversation by yeah. and large with them about what's going on when they're in their 50s and they're say 25 30 yeah. years old it's just you know i know my mum didn't even mm-hmm. tell me and i'm a girl I don't even know if my mum's had it or not, you know, and I'm, you know, my mum's 61, so chances are, yeah. But the the idea of then having to go to work and and, and understand potentially if you're a manager of 31, Mm -hmm. managing a woman who's in their 50s, them coming to you could be quite a daunting prospect for people that don't want to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. and don't actually understand, you know. Are we asking them to go out and research stuff? Yeah, I think that's it. I don't know whether it is a generational thing, Mm. but I think people in the past haven't spoken about just not being the done thing. But I think it's important. It'll need to be education for 
the employees that they can speak about yeah. it and for the managers again they're going to need some yeah sort of some papers to look at or... there's another example i i went to i went to mass last wednesday because it was ash wednesday oh yeah and i came back to the office with ashes on my head and the amount of people that were like you've just got something oh someone did it in work to one of the girls as well that had been and i was like luckily i understood like you know i'm not religious but i no. know and yeah, it I was. Mean, yeah, I had. But to some give people a, are just naive brief... or have no idea. So at least if they feel comfortable yeah, in asking and they're not it. taking the piss. Yeah, exactly. It was a brief Christianity lesson in the office, but we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to have been there for yeah. that. I kind of forgot I'd had them on, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, because you have to. Do you have to leave it on till it sort of? I don't think there's any hard, hard and fast rules on it. But I did say it to my nan the other day, and she said. You didn't take it off, did you? And I said, well, yeah, when I went to the loo, I sort of, you know, she went, oh, it's ineffective then. I said, I don't think it is. I I think I'd be forgiven in in an office, you know, to... You'd hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to look dirty on the train. (laughs) No, definitely not. No, not in this day and age, anyway. No. (laughs) Um, So one of the final things I wanted to talk to you about is what I'm currently working on for the next issue of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And not many people may know that actually you started off in payroll before you entered the world of reward. I did. And I'm currently putting together a feature on payroll and how it can be seen as more important, also people understand that it is an important function, how it can be seen as a career to aspire for. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it isn't at the moment? Because no one really thinks about payroll unless they're in payroll or when they don't get paid correctly. Yeah, it's one of those things. You know it exists or you think it exists because how do you get paid? Um, but until you get to the workplace, it's just not something you need. It, it, it's not anything that's got any kind of pizzazz around it, I think, at school. And you talk to careers people or, you know... Payroll I saw as bookkeeping. That's that's mm. what I knew it as. And quite honestly, as most people in payroll will say, I fell into it. You know, I was offered a job as an office junior at Cineworld Cinemas when I was like 17, 18. Do you want to just, you know, run around and make tea? Yeah, why not? Can you do any, can you use a calculator? Are you any good at maths? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> okay, well, get this book, get that. And, you know, just learn from scratch, which actually is probably where we now go wrong um, mm. because I don't think payroll's taught in the way it used to be. We're so heavily reliant on technology now that I don't really think payroll is what it, you know, you're not really a true payroller in my eyes unless you could do it by hand. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in terms of to make it something that's important, you have to understand the kind of end-to-end business process. And for anyone or any role that's out there, you know, doctors, nurses, the obvious, you know, the vets, the, yeah, I don't know, I want to work in marketing, which is quite yeah. a jazzy place to mm. work. You know, I want to be an editor. I want to work in publishing, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's all very glamorous. It looked glamorous. But for all of that, I think it's opening up to, you know, if you don't want to be a journalist, but you want to work in journalism, well, payroll can get you into any single organization because there is payroll in every mm-hmm. organization, whether it be at a larger scale or a smaller in-house scale, you can do anything any company that works that has employees will have a payroll team. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't and they're really, really small, then they'll have an accountant doing it for them. And if that's the role you want to go down, that can payroll can so easily lend itself to accountancy. I tried it. wasn't for me. Um, or, you know, you can then get into the kind of the softer or the, you know, fluffier, if you like, <laughs> um, side, you know, with HR. And, and mm-hmm. I'm more now probably generalist HR than I ever have been in the past. And I always said, oh, God, never be a generalist. That's not for me. I'm, I'm too specialist. But now I see the kind of, actually, the lines are blurring. Mm. And oh, I definitely. do 
I do a bit of L&D, I do a bit of OD, you know, everything. And I think that's even in a large organisation, you can still touch point. So I think it's how it's, it's, if I was a careers advisor now going into a school, I'd say, and there's the obvious careers, but behind that has to be this business model and, and kind of machine that works. Mm-hmm. And within all of those will be payroll. Yeah, exactly. You I know? think when you speak to career advisors or when you're in high school, college, and people are speaking to you about, oh, if you want to go to university, you can do this degree, that degree. Mm. You never see payroll on there. Now, I know the CIPP have a degree, mm. but it's not, not advertised in the same way. It's not the typical route that people mm. are sort of led down by school so yeah. I don't know whether that would make a difference being included at more universities but I mean I've it got needs a something to promote it yeah I mean I did the CIPP and it was so funny because I you know effectively have the equivalent of a degree and I, when my cousin actually just went to the you know your standard kind of degree path mm. done geography Canterbury Uni and you know my nan was like oh the first person in the family to get to it and I was <laughs> excuse me nan I was like did this six years ago <laughs> but it's and, and that's a prime example very it doesn't laugh, I just <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't give the kudos that it should and i think it's just because it is a background it is a background operation but it is becoming more prevalent you know there's so many within the press the ir35 changes the budget being delayed and now coming out the national living mm-hmm. wage all of this stuff is you know the pension stuff it's it's all bringing it to the media and this kind of Instant access to information now means that people know more than they ever did before. Mm. They can come to you, and whereas previously they wouldn't have understood things, they have more of an understanding now, some people, and that is bringing it to the forefront. Will it ever be, you know, the degree in, I don't know, uh, science or maths? Mm. Probably not, right? But I think it's, it needs to be sold in a slightly different way. It's probably also going to be more useful than a maths or science degree, sorry, yeah. anyone <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, if it's sold in a way that oh, I, w- I want to go and work for Vogue, okay, mm. well, if you there's many routes in, but you know, payroll people at Vogue, there will be a payroll mm-hmm. person at Vogue if you open up the front cover. There's a HR director. Okay, brilliant. So obviously, we're going to be publishing a lot more about that in the magazine too. Yeah. So if anyone wants to read about that, you can join the reward strategy community, and you'll get a copy of the print mag. But I think we'll wrap it up there now, Megan. I'm sure you've got to get back to rewarding everyone at BT. Something like that. <laughs> So for those of you that are listening, please make sure to get in touch and tell me what you thought of this episode. Let me know if there's any questions you'd like to ask future guests or if you'd even like to become a future guest. And if you'd like to speak to the lovely Megan, she'll be talking all things reward at the Payroll and Reward Conference in London on June 3rd and 4th. We'll attach all the details to this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Megan, for being here. Hopefully speak to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.